I'm Dr. Rick Worland. I'm a professor here in the Meadows School in the Division of Film and Media Arts, and it's my pleasure today to be talking with my friend and colleague, Dr. Sean Griffin, who I've Hi. worked with. Hi, Sean. <laughs> We've worked together since about 2000, right? Uh-huh. We're, yep, we're, that's when I got started here. We're millennial colleagues. <laughs> Sean received his Ph.D. from the University of Southern California in 1997, and his dissertation became the book, Tinkerbells and Evil Queens, The Walt Disney Company from the Inside Out, which examines the relationships between Disney and the lesbian, gay, queer culture. Sean's also the author recently of Free and Easy, a defining history of the American musical genre, film genre, and co-author of America on Film, Race, Class, Gender, and Sexuality at the Movies, and Queer Images, a history of lesbian and gay film in America. He's also edited several anthologies and contributed a number of articles on the musical genre, soap operas, and Disney to journals and other anthologies. Prior to becoming a professor, Dr. Griffin helped produce television ad campaigns for Disney, actually, and Touchstone Motion Pictures, including Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Dead Poets Society, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, The Little Mermaid, Pretty Woman, wow, a lot of big stuff, Dick Tracy, and Beauty and the Beast. It was a good time to be working at Disney. (laughs) It sure was. (laughs) Dr. Griffin teaches courses on the history of animation and on musicals and often sings to his classes. He teaches a variety of other history criticism courses from uh, introductory to upper division level on film and media theory. So welcome, Sean Griffin. Thank you. Thank you for being here. I'm really honored that you're the person interviewing me. <laughs> well, <laughs> we've, we've been working here together a long, mm-hmm. a long while, through thick and thin. Yes. Um, well, first, Sean, first things first, how did you become a professor? Well, uh, it was not my career plan. Uh, that when I went to college myself, I kind of struggled trying to figure out what I wanted to do for a living. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was an English major because that was my best subject in high school. It's a place marker. Um, somewhere around my junior year, um, I saw um, an Alfred Hitchcock film called Rear Window, um, which had been unavailable to see up to that point. I remember that moment. Yes. yes. Um, and watched, saw it, and was enthralled. And I remember sitting in an English literature class. The court, the class session was parsing Emily Dickinson, and all I was doing was writing out all of sort of like the amazing details, camera shots, edits, stuff that was going on in her window, and all of a sudden I was like, I need to go to film school. <laughs> <laughs> that's, so, a, that's a great, that's a great story. Yeah, uh, that yeah. at that point the idea was that I was going to, you know, there was no film program where I was an undergraduate, uh, so I would go to grad school. And the idea was that I would go to grad school, I would meet other people that were in grad school, make connections, get a job in the industry, and then win my Oscar in that order. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that was, that was an ambitious goal. Yes. Um, that I got accepted into USC's master's program. Uh, and as a way of paying for that, I was a teaching assistant, which meant that after the professor of record would lecture, they would watch a movie, and then the TA, me, would get up and lead discussion with the students about the movie. And getting up in front of them and watching them see, notice, and learn from what I was saying was a real amazing feeling. Uh, that I did go out and work in the industry uh, at Disney after I finished my master's because I didn't want, I wanted to make certain that I was doing what I wanted to do. I didn't want to leave that as a what if. Uh, I did that for about four years and did 
well. Working at Disney was really exciting. Um, but I was still thinking about academic stuff. Um, I went to go see the movie Field of Dreams when it came out uh, while I was working. And I went home and wrote a five-page paper <laughs> just because I had to <laughs> yes, for no particular reason. It, had, it um, had to come out. Yeah. So then I went back to USC and got my doctorate there. And then suddenly, you know, that was what my career path was. was that's what you were doing. a professor, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, 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 a, great, that's a great trajectory. Mm-hmm. What, uh, over the years, what have been some of your favorite courses to teach? My two favorite courses that I teach repeatedly um, are on opposite ends of the spectrum. The introductory course, which we now call uh, the Art and Film of Film and Media. Uh, we used to call it Film and Media Aesthetics. Uh, and the, uh, what we used to call the Film and Media Theory class, which we now call ph- Philosophy of Film and Media. Um, one is for first-year students that might be majors and might not. Um, and the second is the senior level course uh, that, that everybody used to have to take <laughs> that mm-hmm. everybody was scared of. Um, <laughs> why I like both of those courses so much is that those courses are the ones where I see the most impact on students. The way I kind of talk about it is that like I've taken my thumb and gone like like mm-hmm. that on their brains mm-hmm. um, and they are different people than where they were at the start of that class. Um, sometimes there are like specific class sessions where I can see like I'm sweeping up brains after the class because <laughs> they have never never thought about things that way. Um, I often have students tell me, I can't, well, a lot of fr- first year students are aggravated <laughs> at the like, like, now I can't just watch a movie. I've, All I've I'm heard doing that. is yeah. paying attention to the camera right. work and uh, I can't just relax. Yeah. And I'm busy doing my Mr. Burns. Mm. Uh, 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 uh. And Excellent. I think that's often, a, that's, that's really a compliment too. It's just, it's phrased in the form of I'm annoyed by what I've learned. But on the other yeah. hand, it's really a compliment. Yeah. That's uh, wonderful. And yeah, and the same thing with uh, um, the, the theory class. Uh, I, I think I remember a course evaluation from a student early on saying so like yo i'm getting an f in this class but this class was so amazing and it's like like wow (laughs) that's that's not something you hear very often in a course evaluation it's it's (laughs) it's it's not that's one that should go up on the wall yeah yeah. my most enjoyable failure ever so i also like teaching the musical class uh um which i don't get to do too often although i'm getting ready to um in the fall um that was the first when i was sitting uh, as a graduate student um i was taking a class on musicals myself and was sitting there fuming, going like frustrated. So like, this, he's not teaching this right. If I was going to do this, I would do this this week, and I'd show them this, whatever. And so without me realizing it, I was writing my first syllabus mm. while I was sitting there. Um, it took 10 years, maybe longer than that, between when I did that before I finally taught that yeah. class. But um, I really enjoy it because it's one of my favorite topics. Yeah. So. And you were pent up at that point. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what, uh, uh, in terms of uh, classroom teaching, what are some of your favorite memories of working with students? Well, uh, like I said, tied to that last uh, uh, discussion, seeing the lights come on. Uh, um, one of my favorite things is watching, particularly with the, the, the first-year students, um, of watching students change seats. 
sort of like that you see sort of like they're all scattered all over the place and then slowly the ones that are like oh my gosh this is amazing and they start to find mm -hmm. each other mm -hmm. and they all start like funnel down towards the front of the classroom mm -hmm. and they're all, by the end they're all just like okay you're the ones that are going to be the cohort that are like <laughs> making all your films together and sort of yeah. like going to be around each other forever um, and some of those people are people that you didn't necessarily fully expect I remember various students that seemed to be you know just frat guys or sort of like go oh, I'm taking this as a blow off class or whatever and suddenly you see sort of like like yeah. whatever and again they're different students than they were um, that uh, I enjoy watching the reaction to students when I show them my fan tape of me dressed as Reba McIntyre which talking I've seen about it's, all my children it's, it's, it's quite memorable yeah. <laughs> and then realizing oh my god that's him and usually the first question is not about analyzing thing <laughs> is was that your real hair so real? <laughs> um, that of of watching students grow um, that often you know I've see them as sometimes I've been their very first uh, student, the very first class, very first day, uh, and then catching them as seniors in the theory class mm -hmm. and seeing, wow, look at how much you've changed yeah. and what a person you've become. Uh, I love that. Um, and I take that um, as an honor as well as a, um, something that I need to be responsible for, that I don't uh, think of them as so like okay you graduated go away until you make a lot of money and then <laughs> donate to us yeah. um but that i'm responsible for them after they leave that you know they put themselves in my hands our hands uh and sometimes they have to fight their parents to become majors yeah that's true that's <laughs> um true. and so it's my i feel responsible that i need to help them after they leave here too so i also mm -hmm. very much enjoy um that i stay in touch with a number of the students after they've left and watched how they blossomed. Yeah, and that is, yeah, that is that is a great thing. Mm -hmm. And the thing that also is so, um, a, a little harder is that, of course, we never know which ones we're somehow having an impact on that don't exactly show it. Uh -huh. But then later, they'll, if they contact you, or even if they don't, you they they went, you know, I, now I understand things there that I didn't understand three or five years ago. Yes, my favorite is somebody who is very reticent to taking the theory class like why do I need this I just want to make movies I don't want to think about them mm -hmm. and then came back to talk to students like as an alumni whatever and they were asking him you know what are good things to be doing while they're here and he said sort of like pay attention in the theory class because all the above the line people talk about this stuff okay. and if you can't talk about it you're not going to be part of the conversation <laughs> I was like oh my gosh lean into the microphone <laughs> <laughs> no that is that's very good we ought to have that on tape just, just play that from time to time. So what do you like about being uh, at SMU and in the Meadows School? Well, I very much like the fact that, that um, the film, film media arts department is part of an arts school um, instead of being part of a humanities or communications program in general. Um, the creative vibe um, of being around dancers and musicians and artists and theater people, um, I see really impacting the work that our students do. Um, I like the cross fertilization um, stuff of the impact that it has on stuff that I research or write about or teach about. Um, it has a lot of impact on me. Um, in terms of SMU, uh, SMU has treated me amazingly well. Um, I have never had any sort of serious 
desire to look elsewhere, just sort of like, oh, the grass is greener somewhere else, um, that uh, the support for my research um, has been great, um, support for the type of work that I do in general, that, you know, possibly in other places, the fact that I do research on LGBT material um, maybe might have been problematic. I never got that sense. Uh, in terms of specifically this division, I'm going to try not to cry here, <laughs> okay. um, that uh, it has been a, always been a pleasure to work with all the people here. It has. Okay? It has um, for me that, as well. That, yeah. uh, you know, I bopped around at other universities before I got here, and I had good experiences. Um, but this is the first group where sort of like, like you are my friends. Um, <laughs> in mm -hmm. certain ways, uh, you're my family. Mm -hmm. No, that's that's great, and it is. It, we we learn so much from each other, and we always, yeah. for years, when I was chair and afterwards, we tell prospective faculty members, um, and we're giving away the academic secrets here, but we tell them that this is a good department because we all like each other yeah. and respect each other. We like to and hang get out along. and joke around yeah. with each other. That's yeah, not that of universal. <laughs> no, it's, it's not, not common. So, yeah. and I'm very, I know how rare that is, um, and I think that translates. I think our students kind of without us saying it, we, that extends into that, that sort of like emotion that we have towards each other. The students in our program feel I, I that too. I think you're right about that. I think it really is because I think all of us from time to time reference each other in our classes about, mm -hmm. oh, well, you know, Sean Griffin knows a lot about this or Kevin Heffernan or David Sedman or yeah, all of us and the, and the production yeah. faculty, of course, yeah. too. You and I are in the history criticism area, mm -hmm. but yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, I think that's true. Um, since you are a lifelong lover of the uh, uh, musical, what are some of your favorite film musicals? Well, any student that's ever had me knows what my favorite movie is of all time. And usually it's sort of like I can sort of like ask students and sort of like, like you know, and they, they know <laughs> um, is Singing in the Rain. Singing in the Rain. I, um, I tend to show it uh, in the intro course every year. So oh, I have to do? watch oh. once a year. Um, uh, usually talk about sound. Uh, but that uh, um, why I love it is, A, uh, it's a musical, in case nobody knows that that's listening to this. Uh, um, but that it is a musical that not only is it just amazing performances, amazing singing and dancing, um, it's really funny. It's very funny. Yeah. Very funny. Even most people that claim that they don't like musicals will watch Sing the Rain. It's like, okay, that was actually kind of good because it's so funny. Um, and it's a, the storyline is about, um, about them making movies in Hollywood to switch over from silent film to sound. Yeah. So a musical that's about making movies, of course, that's going to be my favorite <laughs> movie of all time. <laughs> well, you and I are of a generation where part of the way we signaled our destiny here was we, we discovered that we both made audio cassette tapes of television broadcasts mm -hmm. that we, of our favorite movies. Mine was Frankenstein, mm -hmm. and so I've written about the horror film, so I, I can't do it right now, but I know a lot of the opening uh, introduction language of Frankenstein, and you know the opening of Singing oh, in the yeah. Rain. Oh, yeah, because, yeah, I, I taped it, whatever, and I, I've told students, sort of like, if at any point this DVD or Blu-ray breaks down, I will start performing it for yes. you. Yes, <laughs> we, there are I'm not going to run up the walls and do upside-down somersaults like Donald O'Connor, but, but, yeah. That's going to have to wait. Yeah, so that's one of your that's one of your favorites mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. of all time. Obviously, I like Disney. 
yeah. a lot too. So, you know, it's no white and seven dwarves is very foundational to me and it's very hard for me to not cry mm-hmm. whenever Snow White dies. Like my little <laughs> brothers and sisters, because I'm the oldest in my family, oh, my little brothers yeah. and sisters, I used to take them and eventually they started knowing and would like watch me when she died rather than watching the screen. That's it's like, great. Stop, look over there. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and it's funny too because I think those of almost all of us, I mean, I think Americans certainly since probably 1937 and definitely since baby boom time with television. Uh, we're early on exposed to repeated musicals, uh, mm-hmm. genre films, and it is Disney. Yeah, that's our my introduction to the genre, and I think it is for most people. And it's probably going to be for this generation that's watching the the reboots, mm-hmm. the quote unquote live action versions of Lion King or Aladdin or Little Mermaid or Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, yeah. In your recent book, you one of the things you've done uh, deliberately, I'm sure, is to try to broaden the idea or the definition of, of uh, what a musical is. So there's been a recent movies that were uh, biopics like Rocket Man and Bohemian Rhapsody, but then also that perennial uh, A Star is Born, um, mm-hmm. which is about the process of celebrity and actually started off being about the movie business. Right. Uh, so what is the difference? What makes those movies musicals or not right. musicals? Um, there, Yeah, it's one, one of the questions that I love throwing out to people is like, you know, what counts as a musical, what doesn't? Um, I think that by the middle of the 20th century, um, with the uh, popularity of the Rodgers and Hammerstein musicals on Broadway and then on film too, uh, that the concept of what what is officially a musical narrowed a bit into what people refer to as integrated musicals, um, mu- movies where people sing when they should be talking or dance when they should be just walking down the street. So something like Oklahoma or West Side Story or My Fair Lady. Um, that prior to that period, though, there are all sorts of movies where people were putting on a show uh, um, or people were just doing stuff and stopping into nightclubs and here comes Mar- Carmen Miranda out as a guest star. Um, they came out to people or, or uh, uh, pictures about performers um, or composers that were thought of by the audiences at that time as musicals. But now most people think of something like La Vie en Rose or, or mm-hmm. Walk the Line um, or Ray as biographies about musicians yeah. rather than musicals. Um, I think that, you know, I think it's, there's a way of arguing it, but I don't try to tell anybody what is a musical. Um, I know what I think is a musical and everybody's free to pick their own stuff. <laughs> um, I think Rocket Man is trying to be a little bit more quote unquote musical-ish because there's moments where the singing and dancing is happening where it's not on stage and all of a sudden becomes kind of a, a fantasy mm-hmm. even though it's a biography. Um, so I think the boundaries are fluid. <laughs> and, and of course Elton John is nothing if not theatrical in all, in all yes. ways. So yeah, yeah. So, yeah well that, that's uh, that. That brings up a lot of issues, mm-hmm. which are related here, actually. And in your first book, uh, Tinkerbells and Evil Queens, you talk about uh, this idea of uh, the Disney company and its long time in Disney product and, and the, mm-hmm. everything Disney being particularly important uh, to the uh, gay and lesbian and now we would say LGBTQ mm-hmm. uh, community. Can you talk about that 
a little bit. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, I remember when I first broached it as a topic that um, I had to convince people that there was something there um, other than worries that all I was going to do was out a whole bunch of people that were oh. working at the company. And um, this was in the 90s? Late 90s, yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, and uh, now I think it's taken f- almost for granted that everybody just like kind of recognizes that there's something over there that has appeal to an LGBTQ audience. Um, uh, that uh, one of the things that I think the, that my work pointed out is initially it was audiences finding something valuable in stories like Dumbo or, you know, uh, um, The Ugly Dunkling or Ferdinand the Bull, mm-hmm. where it's sort of a champion outsiders of like, just because they don't fit the norm doesn't mean that they're not valuable. That's going to have an appeal yeah. to a marginalized audience. Um, the random silliness that goes on in the cartoons um, also has a potential camp appeal to gay audiences. Um, but I don't think that Disney itself at that point was specifically trying to get gay audiences. They might not have even known that they were there. Um, the latest, like in the 1980s, 1990s, when the new team came in and revitalized Disney. The Eisner th- era. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. Eisner, Katzenberg. Um, there was a greater awareness of there's an audience over here that kind of likes us. We need to try and draw them in more. So I think you know that movies like... Uh, Beauty and the Beast um, or Lion King are more aware of the subtle messages that are there, not trying to alienate the core heterosexual audience, family audiences, but sticking some stuff in there um, and championing other things. I mean, you know, Ellen's sitcom, Ellen DeGeneres' yeah. sitcom, was produced by Touchstone Television. So, yeah. you know, they were doing s- certain more overt stuff as well. So, yeah, and the. Uh I think that tr- that transition, literally, from this being a kind of um, marginalized audience reading these films to a much more, you know, literally out and an open interpretation, mm-hmm. and so that these characters are now, in a sense, being written to have this kind of outsider appeal mm-hmm. in the in the in the broadest mm-hmm. sense. Of and that. done not necessarily for political sort of like yes, we champion sort of like we want your money. <laughs> we, oh, of, <laughs> yes, of course, <laughs> absolutely. We, I think we both are agreed, and many people are in our field that um, that there's it's so difficult to pin down any kind of unitary, single essential reading of any kind of text. Movie, yes. TV, because people find all sorts of stuff there, and and that are there because they found them there. And yeah. when if you get people who are, I think less and less resistant, I think creators are less and less resistant in in popular mm-hmm. media of saying, "Oh no, you're totally wrong. I did not intend that." And a lot of people will say, "No, I didn't intend that." But now that you say that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I try and do that in the classroom too. I try to not sort of like like here's what I take out of it, and if you don't see it, you're wrong. Yeah, um, it's too let students find their own if like if they if they understood it a certain way and can point to because the camera angle was this way or the music was mm-hmm. doing this then fine mm-hmm. um a lot of times i 
I've said often in class, like, wow, that's really great. I never noticed that. I'm totally keeping that. And the next time I show this movie or TV show, I'm going to act like I always saw that <laughs> always and that. steal yeah. it from you. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's that's happened to me uh, as well. And sometimes with films or something that I've seen many times, and they will say something on where that I had never occurred to me, and I'll say, mm-hmm. oh, you are so right about that. Mm-hmm. I had never thought about it that yeah. way. Uh, That's fun to, too. To, to borrow from Rogers and Hammerstein, by by your by your pupils, you'll be taught. And to <laughs> know you and the King and I. Oh, well. <laughs> well, that's perfect. Yeah. Um, so you teach a pretty broad spectrum of courses here in film history and diversity in film. You do post-war European cinema and all kinds of other stuff. Here's an easy question. Why are films important in society? <laughs> or what are the, what, you know, what influence or impact do they have, do you think, uh, over time? I love that. That's such a broad, it's almost it sort of like a Miss America, sort of like where I need to answer, sort of like, well, I want to be a veterinarian because I love children. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, that uh, I think what, where I started feeling like I had a, uh, something vital to give to talking about movies um, is how they can impact people's lives and how they can educate while entertaining people. Um, I know that was definitely part of my life in terms of my own, you know, my own investment in movies. Um, that being deciding to move into this career um, in the late 80s, early 90s, um, when the AIDS crisis was going on, um, was sort of like, you know, this is important. Um, I need, we need to sort of like make the world a better place. Um, that a lot of the work that I do, both in writing as well as in my teaching, um, talks about how women or people of color or LGBT people or people of different abilities um, are represented on screen, but also the opportunities that they may or may not have behind the camera to tell their own stories their own way. Um, I find that extremely important. Um, that granted, I'm not out on the front lines marching and changing laws. Um, I'm doing it, you know, 20 people at a time in mm-hmm. one classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's something that I can do um, in my own sort of like small way to make the world a better place. And if that doesn't sound like a beauty pageant answer, I don't know what does. No, it really well, <laughs> it, it does. But I, th- I, th- I think you're very right. I mean, I, I always come back to the old line about it's better to light a single candle than yeah. curse the darkness. It's yeah. important to make some kind of uh, some kind of change that you can make. Mm-hmm. What are what do you think? Oh, along these lines, in terms of diversity and broadly construed, what do you think are some movies or TV shows that have been really important? like that in, say, the last 20 years or so? Uh, Well, one that's out there right now, as we speak, that I think is just amazing um, is a TV series called Pose that is about the black and Latino uh, um, transgender community in New York City during the 1980s and 1990s, Hmm. what was um, the subject of a really famous documentary, Paris is Burning, but turning it into a TV series. representing transgendered people and having transgendered people play transgendered people, uh, of giving them attention, um, having a number of various people of color as well as LGBTQ people behind the camera, writing, directing, uh, and educating, showing the hardships that, you know, and the issues that these people 
face then, but point, also pointing out how much things, unfortunately, may not have changed um, in the 30 years, 20, yeah, 30, 20 yeah. years. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, time, <laughs> time marches. <laughs> yeah, um, it's amazing. Um, it's really well written. Um, it's very hard for me to not cry, although obviously I've already almost broken down once mm -hmm. in this podcast, um, uh, um, uh, to cry every episode because it's so heartfelt. Mm -hmm. um, and that's that's an amazing thing, that you if you can reach people who don't know anything about this life and touch them and make them sympathetic, that's amazing. Well, and in even, the, I mean, two things are going on there, I think, in, in terms of what you're saying. Uh, that on the one hand, do you have a, a look into a community that the majority audience doesn't know anything about that was already highly marginalized in a far more repressive time yeah. and was being ravaged by a deadly disease for which mm -hmm. there was no cure. Mm -hmm. And and to navigate those things, th that sense of this is in the past or this is what the way things used to be with, no, this may have some contemporary power as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's really important uh, television making. Yeah. Well, let's talk about a little bit more about your work specifically in the classroom. And I know, as we've been talking about, that we try to keep these things integrated with our with our teaching and our research and and our own uh, life, essentially. Uh, talk about some. Of, I wanted to ask you some about your specific teaching career, career at Meadows. Uh, you you have this reputation and this nickname as the singing professor. Ah. <laughs> uh. Uh, and we what, get there. Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> what, what does that, uh, what, how did that come about, and yeah. can you talk about that? Okay. Um, well, yeah, I have, a, I didn't start doing this, um, but that it kind of evolved, um, and it's something where uh, I was teaching a course on television history, and uh, I really was enjoying the camaraderie that I was feeling in the class. Um, and so at the end of the class, um, I sang the sign-off that tune that Carol Burnett used to <laughs> sing at the end of the class just because I was, was like, I felt enough comfortable and sort of like, you know, uh, that was a little nerve-wracking because, you know, I don't have a backup orchestra. Yes, that's true. Anything like that's that. Um, but I quickly realized that sort of like, you know, they have to like me because I'm grading them. <laughs> so, so I've got something over the audience. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, and usually it's sort of like I realize that there is like three levels of how they react. First off, there's the what? <laughs> like, I can't believe this is going on. Followed by like a little like laughter of sort of like, oh, he's going on. And then, he's going on. <laughs> and, and then sort of like it moves into, oh, like because they realize like, I'm really going full tilt. I'm yeah. not sort of like like yeah. kind of I like saying, yeah. well, <laughs> and so usually there's sort of like mouths are agape at the end. <laughs> so like okay, that was actually kind of good. Um, well, that's so good. Uh, um, and so it's kind of progressed into uh, where I usually sing. Usually at the end of every class, at the end of every semester, I would oh, sing okay. my, my okay. goodbye to them. And then once I uh, created like a twitter account i'm singing film prof oh, that's on good. twitter so so i'm i am branded even <laughs> so <laughs> yes, so wow this is that's an interesting <laughs> challenge i didn't know that you sang in every class or almost mm -hmm. every class 
So I have to figure out different stuff to I send was to them if, say, as they yeah. enroll in different classes. Well, yeah, yeah. and also <laughs> some of those classes don't necessarily lend themselves to music. <laughs> some of the things we teach don't, yeah. don't necessarily do that. If I was doing a class on when I teach classes on westerns, I, well, I guess there's a lot of you know mm-hmm. songs. So since you've been the uh, singing professor, I mean, if, let's say for example that you were uh, doing a podcast and and <laughs> what's an appropriate hmm. song to close a podcast with and okay. it, and again I'm gonna I'd like to point out that you don't have a, a large orchestra and and I can attest that he is not wearing a Bob Mackie gown yes so. well <laughs> such a people the could window. imagine Just people saw it could in the imagine. window and had to have it people yeah. could imagine <laughs> people could imagine yeah. so well this is a song that I, I sing usually at the end of the intro class uh, um, and it's not the full song but it's like the last couple bars of things um because it's definitely how I feel about the students. Um, uh, When my life is through and the angels ask me to recall the thrill of them all, then I shall tell them I remember you. Oh, bravo. Very good. And hard to sing a cappella. That's very nice, Sean. (laughs) The orchestra's in my head. (laughs) (laughs) Sean, thank you very much. Uh, We thank you for uh, sitting down and talking to us here today, and I thank you for the work that you've done on the behalf of this division and the university over the last nearly 20 years, Uh, and it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for being a friend and a mentor. Thank you very much, Rick. My pleasure. It's been fun. (laughs) 